worship leaders here and I just want to say I'm so excited to have you all here with us this morning. Um, today we're going to be kicking off a new series, No Ordinary Hero, hence all of our 
superhero show. It's pretty awesome, right? Um, we're going to be taking a look at four disciples in the Bible. Um, disciples of Jesus who weren't celebrated as big heroes of faith, but who definitely made a significant impact. And what we wanna discover as a church is that there are great um, acts of heroism in the ordinary by loving your neighbor, by showing kindness to your neighbor. Um, so be excited for that. But we're gonna continue in our worship today. So let's stand to our feet. We're gonna celebrate our ultimate hero, give God the glory and praise in this place. Come on, church. See 
glad that you're here. Thank you for being here this morning. You guys feeling good today? We've got another new song that we're going to teach you this morning. The song is called How Great Is Your Love? We're going to sing it together. From the darkness I called your name And into darkness your mercy came You called me out, lifted me up How great is your love You bore my weakness, you took my shame Bury my burdens in fields of grace You called me out, lifted me up How great is your love From the heights of heaven You stepped down to earth In the sin perfection
give him the praise today, all the glory, all the honor. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for that hope. We thank you for conquering death and setting us free to live a life that's found and centered upon you. Lord, we love and we praise you today. We give you all the glory and all the honor. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. Good morning. The few, the proud, the ones who are willing to risk flow. Thank y'all for being here. Y'all feeling good? Good. We're glad you're here this morning. Um, we're about to prepare for a time of a time of giving. Uh, before we before we do that, um, I was thinking uh, about the places that I went this week that I actually spent money. Anybody spend money this week? Anybody spend money they didn't want to spend this week? You're like, that's pretty much all of it. Um, but this, this week, I, I spent some money. I went to the grocery store. I went to Walmart yesterday um, and watched people um, try to get a bunch of water. Um, I went to um, Chick-fil-A this week, um, which is really Christian of me because it's Chick-fil-A. Um, I, I spent money at different places, but... You know, when, when, we, when we spend money buying things or when we make a car payment, all that stuff is, it's totally necessary. Like some of that stuff we, we, we have to do in order to function in, in our world. But one of the things about things like that is they don't last forever. Like my chicken nuggets didn't last, but let's be honest, a couple of minutes. Um, my groceries that I bought at Walmart, they won't last I probably won't use that water for a while, but it won't last that long once I do. But when I get to give on Sunday morning, I say get to give because we get to give to a, a something bigger than us. But when I get to give on a Sunday morning, that makes an impact that lasts forever. A couple of weeks ago, I got an email from a lady who just wanted to talk. And one of the things she wanted to tell me was that she'd been to church as a child and always swore she would never go back. And I didn't get into the details of it, but um, she had been hurt by the church. She had been rejected because of who she was. And she swore she would never go back. And somehow, several months ago, she ended up coming here. And she said she didn't want to come here, which I guess that's just honest. I was like, okay, her feelings are a little hurt, but that's okay. But she didn't, said she didn't even want to come here. But she said that from the second that she pulled onto the campus, she knew there was something special about this place. She said literally she could track every face from the person that waved to her when she entered the parking lot to when she took her seat and she could recite the entire service to me that day. It's changed our life and it's because of what we get to do here. It's because of what we get to give here. And as a matter of fact, that wasn't just a one-time thing. She's been back every week since. But that's, that's what we get to give to. So don't, let's just don't rush this and think, ah, oh, they just want my money. That's not it. And if that's, if that's what you think, don't give. But this is so that we can honor God with the first part of our finances, that thing that means so much because we have to have it. But it's also so that we can hear stories like, I swore I'd never go back to church. But they're, but they're here. Let me pray. And then we're gonna take up the offering. God, thank you for being our living hope. And God, this morning we do, um, we do not make light of of the hurricane, Lord, we do pray for our friends in North Carolina and parts of South Carolina that have suffered great damage. And Lord, we do pray that you would 
just be very present to them as help arrives. Lord, help for us to know how to help them. And we pray that you'd be very present and as they patch things back up and that you'd be present as they try to sort it all out in their heads. And God, we pray that you'd be with them. And we thank you for this morning that we do have an opportunity to give. We thank you that we can drive here or ride here. And uh, God, that we can walk into a, a cool building. And uh, God, that we can sit in a chair. Lord, let us never take the little things for granted. God, thank you that we get a chance to invest in eternity. When we obey you with our finances, Lord, that's what we do this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can give at the kiosk in the lobby. You can give online. You can text the number that's about to be on the screen. Or you can give the good old-fashioned way. If you're on the left side of the road, there's a bucket. You can pass that to the right. My hero is John Wilson. My hero is my mama, Becky Lynn. There goes my hero. Watch him as he goes. My hero is my daddy. Her name is Colleen Henson. Patty Space. Good morning. So when you think of superheroes, who do you ordinarily think of? Maybe people like Superman or Spider-Man. How about Hercules? Anybody ever think of Hercules? I would say that ordinarily, when we think of superheroes, we tend to think of extraordinary kinds of people, right? But I would say that heroes come in all shapes and sizes with uh, incredible abilities and with incredible disabilities. On May the 25th of 2001, Eric Weinmayer became the first blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest, which is pretty amazing. But since then, he's been helping other people rise above their disabilities. Watch this. As a blind guy climbing mountains and doing adventures around the world, I get a lot of attention for those accomplishments, and they are impressive, but I think what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. I mean, it really has been a struggle to live a no-barrier's life, to understand it, to explore it, to push the parameters around the edges, even to fail it and to bleed it, to build that map that enables us to navigate our lives and emerge at the end of that process, change for the better. And I think I got a little bit closer to understanding that No Barriers life a few summers ago when I was leading one of my No Barriers clinics. We were climbing a mountain 
near my house up in Winter Park, Colorado. And we had some really eclectic people. We had paraplegics who were cranking up the mountain with their arms. We had folks with prosthetic legs and high-tech crutches who were working their way forward. We had blind people who were using trekking poles and somebody was out in front jingling bear bells. And the night before the clinic, Kyle showed up. Kyle was born without arms and legs. And we had no idea how we we're gonna get him to the top of the mountain. And we didn't have a lot of time. He just signed up the night before. We had to scramble, I mean, we're no barriers. So we went to his hotel room and we stole bath towels and we went down to the front desk and we got some packing tape and foam. And the next morning, we pushed him up to the base of the mountain in his wheelchair, got him out, wrapped foam and bath towels and packing tape around his stumps. And for the next eight hours, Kyle crabbed his way through snow, through dirt, over rocks, to the top of a 12,000 foot peak in Colorado. See, it doesn't take a lot to get started. You know, all these things are, are just little sparks of an idea. They're nothing but bath towels and packing tape. You combine that with the light of the human spirit and we'll go to amazing places. And by the way, that wasn't enough for Kyle. He could have stopped there and said, look at me, I'm done. But instead, he used that summit as a catalyst to more growth in his life. He continued to build out his systems and strategies and technologies. He continued to strengthen his team. And it was the next January that after 16 days on the mountain, Kyle became the first quadruple amputee to reach the summit of Kilimanjaro, the tallest peak in Africa. Wow, what an amazing story. One of the things that I love so much about the Bible, one of the things that I love in particular so much about Jesus is that when Jesus chose the men who would spread the gospel, who would literally change the world with the radical message of the love of God, he chose 12 ordinary men. Not one of them was renowned for scholarship or great sophistication. Not one of them. They had no track record for being great orators or theologians. And you would have to admit, if you're going to change the message, you're going to change the world with the message of hope, you would think that you would want to get some guys that were pretty good at speaking, wouldn't you? I mean, you would just think that that would kind of like be a top priority, that their theology would be deep and sweet. They weren't outstanding for any natural talent or intellectual ability. In fact, I would say on the contrary. They were all too well known for mistakes. In, in fact, the Bible is full of the mistakes of the people that we call heroes of our faith. They were often misspoken, right? How about Peter? Maybe one of the greatest in the New Testament people that when you, when you think about Peter, you think about someone who's at the top. And yet, he's probably known for some of the stupid things that he said and did. Wrong attitudes. They're known for wrong attitudes and lapses of faith. And even Jesus, I love this. This may be my new life verse. Even Jesus in, in Luke 24, even Jesus himself said, they're a little bit slow when it comes to learning. 
They're kind of slow learners. In fact, here's how he said it. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ordinary people, ordinary men, failures, in fact, if you look at them closely enough. And they span the political spectrum. In fact, one had been a, a tax collector. A virtually, he was a traitor to the Jewish nation. And it appeared as, as though he was in collusion with Rome. At least four, maybe even seven, were fishermen. The others, we don't even know what they did. It's not recorded. No one has given us any information. Study history. We just don't know. Most of them. Most of them were from Galilee. Okay, who cares? Right? What's the big deal about Galilee? Galilee was known for their agriculture, not being the center of, of, of religion and scholarship. Again, it seems kind of weird. And Galilee remained their home based for most of Jesus' ministry, as, as, uh, as some might not think. And yet, with all of their faults, In spite of all of their faults and their character flaws, as remarkably ordinary as they were, they carried the ministry of Jesus after his ascension that left an, a lasting impact on the world. We are here today as a result of 12 ordinary men, nothing special about them, no extraordinary abilities, nothing supernaturally spiritual about them, just 12 ordinary people, just like me and you. We're here because they took this Message of Jesus, seriously. I'm just saying that God graciously empowered and used ordinary people to launch the spread of the gospel message that would turn the world upside down. And in a few weeks, we're going to look at just how upside down he turned the world. That he introduced in, in, in his time this, this idea of humility that out of the love of Jesus, out of the principles that Jesus taught, there was compassion like nobody had never known before. The world was radically changed, even educationally. And universities are established all because of the teachings of Jesus. That these 12 ordinary men, people just like you and me, carried on. They are our heroes of the faith, but they were no ordinary superheroes. So for the next few weeks, I want us to look at four of these, even less known apostles, disciples. Those who are even more ordinary than the other plain ordinary. And what I want us to tap into, as we look at their stories, what I want us to tap into is what is it that, that made these ordinary men special enough that they could be chosen. Let's start with uh, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. How about old Andrew? Know a lot about Andrew? Well, first, we all know who Peter is, right? Most of us, even if you're not a super church person, chances are really good you've heard of St. Pete. You know St. Peter. You know of Peter. But Andrew is ordinarily left um, very much in the background. You don't hear a lot about Andrew. In fact, it actually sounds like Andrew was, was like second fiddle. He was like second chair, second best. I wonder 
If when Andrew was growing up, I wonder if, if he ever heard his mom and dad ever say, Andrew, why can't you be more of the leader that your brother Peter is? I just wonder. Andrew would always have been, even in Scripture, and I'm going to prove it to you this morning, he was always in the shadow of his older brother. He was always second chair, second fiddle, second choice, second best. If you think I'm stretching this whole second fiddle thing, then if you go back and just do this this afternoon, go back and just do a little research on your own, just check out the New Testament. And if you, if you take the times when his name is listed with the other 12, there's actually only nine times when he's mentioned. Nine times. And most of those nine times, it's only mentioned kind of in, in passing. And I'm just saying that, I'm just trying to make the point that Andrew was even more ordinary than the other ordinary disciples. And he lived his whole life in the shadow of his big brother. In fact, many of the verses, as you're going to look at this morning, that mention him, they just say that he was literally Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That the only thing that really ever made him significant, the only reason that his name ever got mentioned was the fact that he was Simon Peter's brother. It's kind of like people look at me and say, aren't you Karen's husband? You know what I'm talking about? The only thing that makes me important is I'm hanging out with her. She would probably say there's times when it has been said about her, oh, you're Scott's wife. My children might, uh, might uh, if they were here this morning, they might, might say the same thing. The only thing that ever made us recognizable was the fact that we were your children. So, if you feel like that you're just ordinary, if you feel like that honestly you're just a wallflower, that nobody really even knows that you exist, even when you're in a crowded room, that nobody, everybody looks over you, that you're second choice, second fiddle, second best, maybe too insignificant to matter, then the day is absolutely going to rock your world with hope. So let's jump into John's gospel. Let's see how this uh, ordinary guy is introduced. John chapter 1, verse 35, the next day, John, which is John the Baptist, not John the gospel writer, but John the Baptist, John the gospel writer is telling the story. Are you confused? Is that clear as muddy water? The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. And you see, you won't even know who this is. We just know that there were, John was there with two of his disciples. We don't, they didn't call them by name. We don't know who they are. You won't know that until you get to verse 40. See, I told you, even, he didn't even get his name mentioned. I mean, not even an honorable mention. You would just think that the gospel writer would have said, oh yeah, and by the way, Andrew, nothing. <clears throat> so let me read you what one, comment, one commentator said about Andrew. I know you love it when I do this. Here's what he said. He said, when Jesus met him, being Andrew for the first time, he was already, and he uses this word, a devout man. When Jesus met him for the first time, him being Andrew, he was already a devout man who had joined the ranks of John the Baptist's disciples. i got to be honest with you. When I looked at this, when I read this, when I really tried to unpack the story, I, I have to admit that I kind of disagreed with the guy. 
<coughs> I thought devout, man, I'm not sure that devout with the word would be the word that I would use. And, and so in my own career terminology, my kind of redneck way, I kind of look at him and I think, I'm not sure that he was devout. I think he was desperate. He had to be desperate. Dude, he quit his job. He quit his job <laughs> to follow this uh, crazy man who's preaching out in the wilderness, out in the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. He left his job. He left his security. Some would call it devout. I call it a little crazy. I call it desperate. And old John, nobody had ever seen anything like him. Not down at the local synagogue. The stories of this guy who dresses in uh, camel's hair and he eats... Uh, Locusts and wild honey. It sounds like he was watching too much bizarre foods. He lived and preached in the wilderness, cut off from all the comforts of life and the conveniences of city life. Listen, you had to be desperate to follow a man like that. It, it would be enough if he had just said, okay, this is a crazy man. He's, he dresses differently, he eats crazy stuff. That would be enough, but if you were to go out and there were to be some like, you know, uh, 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 Hilton, you know, some, some Marriott, if it was a resort and he said, come and listen to the preacher, it's kind of like a conference and you'll listen during the day, we'll feed you good, there'll be a box lunch, but it'll be good. I mean, that would be one thing, but to go out in the middle of the desert and then to live like he lived, devout, I think he was desperate. Let's read on. So when he, being John the Baptist, saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And just so you know, Jesus had been out into the desert, uh, out in the wilderness, and he'd been baptized by John the Baptist. It was a, a very specific thing that, that he had to do. And so John's already been acquainted with Jesus. And so John looks and he sees Jesus walking down the road and he stops and he says, Andrew. Well, actually, we don't know it's Andrew yet, do we? Because he hasn't told us. It is Andrew. He's one of the disciples, but his name hasn't been mentioned. And suddenly he looks and he says, look, look guys, that's the guy right there. That's the Messiah. That's the guy that I baptized. He's the guy that I've been telling you about. He's here. That's him. And then he gives Andrew and this other disciple, whoever he was, he gives him permission to go and to follow Jesus, are you following this story? This guy is desperate. I mean, he's desperate. He's looking for something. And so he leaves his job. He leaves the security of his job, and he goes out into the desert. And then he's out in the desert with this guy, and then suddenly this guy says, hey, I know you've been following me, but here's the thing. That's the guy that I've been telling you about, so don't follow me. Follow him. And he does. Who in their right mind would do something like that? Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I gotta be honest, I've read this for years. Remember the years I would look at that and I would think, well, Jesus, that's kind of rude. What do you want? I mean, you can, can you kind of hear that, you know? Maybe he kind of stood a certain way, had his hands on his hips, I don't know. But it sounds like that when you looked at him, he's kind of being rude, he's kind of being in his face, but that is not the question here at all. 
Here's what he's saying. The Greek construction says he's literally looking at him saying, what? What are you looking for? In my Greer terminology, I would say that Jesus was looking at Andrew and the other disciple and he was saying, what are you so desperate for? And my guess is it would be a good question for some of you to answer this morning as well. What are you looking for? Really? I have some uh, TV guys. um, It would be if you're looking for uh, fame, popularity, if you're looking for wealth, if you're you're looking for uh, another way to stick a feather in your hat, if you're looking for something significant, that you be something significant, in a big worldly kind of way, then you would follow Jesus, but not this guy. He had left everything behind. And so Jesus looks at him and he says, man, you're desperate. So I want to push you. What are you desperate for? So what are you desperate for? So here's what Andrew and the other disciple said. Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? Just so you know, this question, uh, they're not asking, did you stay at the Holiday Inn Express last night? That's not the question at all. You have to look at a little bit of the Greek construction, but the question literally is this. What is it that lives inside of you? Where where does this this life, that literally is the question, where, not where are you staying, not physically where did you sleep last night, but, but, but Andrew was looking at him saying, you know what, there's something been radically different about you. You're different than, John the Baptist, man, he was cool, you know? I mean, with the whole caveman-like thing that he had going on, I mean, that was cool. I, the locusts, I wasn't so crazy about, but anyway, I mean, he was cool, but you, you are, rad- there's something different about you. When I look at you, your life, wow. What is it? That makes you different. What is it that's inside of you? Then Jesus replies, I love this. I just think this is so cool. I think a lot of modern churches probably would do really, really good to look at this. You know what he says? He just says, come. And you'll see. Now this is not the Greek word for see, blepo. It's not, it's not that. It's not physical sight. It's another Greek word that implies spiritual sight. And I love what, what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, listen, I know what, you've listened to the words of John. That's good, that's good. You've listened to the words of John. You're listening to my words right now, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to know that you have the ability to come and watch me. Look at me. Look at how I live. Look at how I act. Don't just listen to my words, but see what's behind those words, that it's action. I don't just talk about love. I actually love people. So go ahead, come. Come and see for yourself. Go ahead. Check me out. I wouldn't do that, would you? In fact, wouldn't you go ahead and start making an apology if it were you? Really? Come on, let's just be honest. Would you say, I just want to go ahead and tell you, you can check me out, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> see? see, exactly what you'd say. It's exactly what I would say. I'd say, now look, you can come and kind of check me out, but chances are if you stay with me in a 24-hour period, you're going to hear me say some stuff that you're going to go, whoa, I can't believe a preacher said that. Now, some of you would say, I can't even believe a Christian said that. You, I mean, really? You call yourself, and Jesus says, 
No, really, come and see. Then the Bible says, and so they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. And it was about four o'clock in the afternoon. Everything that I read, actually, uh, everything I read about this story says that it actually suggests that they spent the whole night together. And I thought about that. I thought, that sounds a little silly to me. Actually, I think it sounds crazy. If uh, not even a little bit irresponsible. Jesus was on planet earth in, 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 in an earthly ministry for about three years. The disciples didn't even walk with him the full three years. Go back and kind of check that out. Some believe it was closer to maybe a year and a half, maybe two years, depends on who you listen to and who you read behind. And so if you only have three years on planet earth and you know that while you're here, you have to enlist the help of some mere humans, ordinary people that are gonna take the message, that are gonna take the same message that you preach and they're gonna, they're gonna share that with the rest of the world don't you think that you wouldn't have wasted time, that much time, a 24-hour period on a no-name nobody? We don't even know who he is yet. Sounds kind of silly. Unless you know Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 40, we get the introduction. Andrew. Simon Peter's brother, I told you. So when he's finally mentioned, he's finally mentioned, I told you, it's like he's, he's living, the only thing that really made him significant in this passage was the fact that he was Peter's brother. It's not like he was worthy enough to stand on his own. He didn't have any natural ability, nothing intellectual, nothing spiritual that made him stood out, stand out in such a way as that he would be able to find, he would be able to stand on his own and just be Andrew. No, it's Andrew Old Simon Peter's brother. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, is one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother, Simon, and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ. So if you read the commentaries, I, I read this. Um, he went and told, you know, he's... I just think it's kind of strange. This guy said... Andrew must not have resented his big brother too much because the first thing he did in the morning was go find Peter. And I thought about that. You know, I kind of thought about that for a little bit, and I thought, or, or, maybe Andrew, maybe Andrew went to Peter and said, hey, guess what, big brother? Guess who found the Messiah? Who's second fiddle now, huh? I mean, like, who's second chair now? Who's second choice now? Who found him first, Peter? Probably not that way. I guess the commentator was probably right. But it could have played out that way. And then verse 42, it says, and he brought him to Jesus. Some, sometimes I think that we get so caught up in the ideas of evangelism and how to propagate the gospel that we forget the most simple words in Scripture. So he didn't, he didn't go to Peter and say, Peter, let's sit down. Let's talk. You know, you know, you know we were taught about the Messiah's kids, remember? In synagogue, we were taught, taught about the Messiah. 
And you, you know, you remember that I went out in the, I know you thought I was crazy, and I went out with John the Baptist, and he was kind of freaky looking, and he was kind of a wild you know, kind of preacher, kind of a caveman looking dude. But I'm just telling you. And then he said, and then he, and then he pointed at Jesus, and he said, that's the guy. And I'm just telling you, man, I was with him, and I spent a 24-hour period with him. I'm telling you, there was no, there's no debate here. There's none. He's not trying to convince him. He's not trying to, to use his intellect. He's not trying to use his persuasion. He just goes and he says, listen, I found him. I just, I just want you to come and see who he was, who he is. So Andrew brought his brother, his big brother, to Jesus. And then Peter gave his life to Jesus. So we find Andrew, this five talent, this man in the middle who had this gift, this, this knack. He saw the, the, the importance of the individual. Sometimes evangelists don't do that. Sometimes as preachers on a Sunday morning, we want to we look at the crowd. How many people showed up on a given Sunday? We were a little concerned this morning that nobody would be here. I'm just saying. So we're really, really grateful that you're here. You have no idea how grateful that we are that you're here. I was thinking that we'd probably have to go out on 29 and just stop cars and say, can you just go in and make our pastor feel a little bit better? But for Andrew, it was the individual. And when you look in Scripture, you know what you're going to find? You'll find that Andrew is introducing the individuals to Jesus. Now, Peter, he introduces Peter to Jesus, and Peter is the guy who preached the first sermon, and 3,000 people accept Christ. They bought into the resurrection, and they were willing to sell out, leave everything behind to follow this man named Jesus. So all of the fruit of Peter's ministry is the fruit of Andrew's faithful, individual witness. So Andrew was no ordinary hero. There's nothing special about him. Has no special abilities, no natural abilities, nothing that we know of. He's from an agricultural region. Not from the religious hub. His name, he's only mentioned nine times if you take away the, the times when all of the disciples are listed. He's a nobody. He's a no-name nobody. So what made him so special? What made him so special that Jesus would spend a 24-hour period with him? What made him so special that he would look at Andrew and say, Andrew, come, come follow me, and I will use you and some other really ordinary kinds of people. In fact, people will forget their names as well. And just try to do it right now. Could you just, like, name all 12 of the disciples? Probably Judas. Oh, yeah, 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 I got him. He's the one that blew it, right? And we know Peter, but how many of the others can we even name? They get lost in the crowd. They were just 12 of them. And yet Jesus says, there's something about you that makes you special. You know what I think it was? Not that he was devout. I think it was that he was desperate. So desperate that he would be willing to leave everything behind. His job, his family. That he wouldn't care what other people said. That he would be willing to leave everything behind to follow this man named Jesus. Why? Because what he saw in Jesus was real. It was the kind of love that would radically change your life. That you would look into his eyes and say, you're not like, like any preacher I've ever seen. You're not, you're not like any teacher I've ever heard. There's something about you that's different. 
And I'm desperate. I'm looking for something that's different. I'm looking for something. I'm looking for a life change. I'm looking for something that motivates me to get up every morning. Because this ordinary life that I'm living is not enough. So how desperate are you? How desperate are you? You know, I had to think, honestly, I thought, and I talked to the Jesus this way. I, I don't know if y'all, you know, I don't know what your relationship with God is like, but so I was talking with God yesterday, and I said, really? You let the storm happen on the weekend? I mean, like, it would have been just as good if you'd let it happen on Thursday. I mean, really, it's going to affect church on Sunday? I mean, God, did you think this one through? And, and it's going to be raining and people won't come to church. And we got this new series and we're so excited about this new series. And God is going to be cool and we're going to show up and nobody's going to be there. And then I, I looked this morning, I was standing out there and I, I, see, I see a parking lot guy standing out there in the middle of the rain. Directing people in. And I look and we've got greeters that are fighting umbrellas. To come find you at your car so that you don't have to get wet as you walk in. Man, those are my heroes. Ordinary people, not for me. But maybe for you. Maybe for you. You've always seen yourself as second fiddle, second bass, too ordinary to do anything great for Jesus. And the fact of it is, that's not true. God gave his son to die on the cross for you. Just for you. If you'd been the only person on the face of the earth, he would have died on the cross. He would have gave his life just for you. He's crazy about you. And he has a plan for your life. As a follower of Jesus, are you going to settle for just an ordinary existence? Are you going to settle for just showing up to church on Sunday every now and again? Are you going to settle for that? When God says, you're not too ordinary for me, I'm crazy about you. I have, I have shown you my love. You've accepted it, and I've gifted you. Trust me with your life. And Karen and I can tell you, it's an incredible life. You know the thing that got me in the ministry to start with? This is the truth. You know the thing that jazzed me the most? wasn't that I ever felt like that I had any great abilities. Not that I was a great leader. I didn't even know what leadership meant. I had, to go to, I had to go to seminary. It was after seminary, in fact, before I even knew that there was a spiritual gift of leadership. Is that crazy or what? Nobody ever taught me that. The church wasn't teaching that there was a leadership gift. You know what I believed? I believed because I got up and spoke one time and I gave an invitation and people, people gave their lives to Jesus. It was the craziest thing. And so I believed from day one that it, didn't, it wasn't me with a great gift of speaking. I wasn't a great orator but that somebody like me, I used to think this, I'm probably so weird, I'm probably like so ordinary in my, in my, in my giftedness that God gets great pleasure in using me because when, when I give an invitation and people accept Christ, people are scratching their heads and going, that's gotta be Jesus. Who knows what he said? And that's what I love about him. You don't have to be good. Just desperate enough. 
to give him your life and let him use you. How about you? As a follower of Jesus, are you desperate enough? Man, we have volunteers this morning that are desperate people. Phenomenal. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. I just want you to know that, that God's crazy about you. Maybe, maybe you feel really insignificant. Maybe you feel like you're just too ordinary for anyone to love. Maybe, maybe you think that you've got too much junk, that your baggage is different than everybody else's. Look at me. Jesus is crazy about you. The Heavenly Father is crazy about you, and what He desires is to be in a relationship with you. And you say, but you don't understand. He does. He knows it all. And He knew that you would be here this morning. He knew that I would share this message. He's crazy about you. Are you desperate enough that you've been looking for life? I mean, life at a level. You know what I'm talking about? Not just existing, but you're looking for life. If that's you, and you're just desperate enough, be willing to accept Christ and every head is bowed and every eye is closed no one's looking around maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this maybe you'd just say Father it really is hard for me to wrap my head around your incredible love and I'm actually just kind of blown away by the depth and the height and the, the, the power that, of your love, the sweetness of your love. Honestly, it is crazy. It's a crazy kind of love. And right now, I feel you speaking to me, somebody like me. So I'm just telling you that I do believe and I'm just asking that you forgive me of my sin, all my sin, all my junk. that you step into my life I'm telling you right now that I want to follow you for the rest of my life I just want to follow you Father you're amazing your love is amazing your word is amazing Lord I am I, I personally am so grateful for an Andrew and it was always in the shadow of his big brother, second fiddle, second chair, second string, second best. And yet, God, he was desperate, so desperate for you. And that won your heart. And you took a man like that, God, just an ordinary guy. And Lord, now we know him as one of the heroes of our faith. God, thank you for the hope that you can use ordinary people. People like these people that are here today and me to do incredible things for you just because we're desperate enough to totally surrender our lives to you. We love you. And it's in your sweet name that we pray.